If you have to cheat in an RPG, then you are most definitely playing it wrong. And welcome to episode 24, season 2 of Playing It Wrong. I'm your humble host with a live studio audio, a studio audience of two dogs, and this is why I do this live streaming consciousness here. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, thought to start off the episode with, because I didn't have a good joke lined up. And it's not really worth an entire episode, but really, why do people cheat at RPGs? Yeah, you know, you know the guy. Yeah, I rolled all 18s for all my stats. Hits every time, crits every time. You know the type. You've seen him at your table. Why do these people do this? I don't know. It's stupid. Anyway, well, let's move on with the actual meat of this episode. And the best place to start off, of course, is with the session summary of what was going on this week in gaming. It was the Labyrinth Lord game. And, well, they're still in the Keep in the Borderlands, and I'm still ignoring Keep in the Borderlands. The party's pretty much reached fourth level, and they're kind of blowing through anything that's actually in the module right now. So I put them on a little quest, another evil temple in the swamp, and yeah, they did a pretty good job for most of it. And most of it was pretty much standard, uh, you know, kobolds, traps, yeah, they, they got through that. And, um, but there was one interesting, the boss encounter was interesting and they, they kind of fell for it the way I did. Because I combined two monsters. And there's a tip for GMs. Combine two monsters. Because what they saw was a statue of a female with bat-like wings, but the head was flesh. No one paused to think anything other than maybe this is something getting turned to stone or getting turned back into flesh or whatever, what it turned out being was an animated statue being controlled by a naga who was riding around inside of it with just her head sticking out. It was a gory fight. They got lucky. <clears throat> they nearly drained uh, that wand of fireballs they got earlier. And, well, that's the only thing that saved their butt during that encounter. But it was a fun encounter, and the players were surprised, and that's what's, that's what's fun about these games. Surprising the player, in a good way. And we already, uh, we, well, I'm speaking of the royal we. We already know that next week's episode is going to be a little short thanks to the 4th of July, and there was going to be no Thursday game that day. Some people are thinking about getting together, but I'm going to be at home peeling dogs off the ceiling. So, uh, yeah, we, I stopped by the vet, and they've gotten their extra I-don't-care pills to get them through the 4th. So we will see how that goes. Poor puppies. Now let's get on with the main topic of this episode, what I want to talk about. And that is, if you remember back about two episodes ago, I talked about Adventures Are Guidelines. And then another idea came into my head, which was already there. I just finally put two and two together, which is Adventures Are Also Settings too. Inspirations for a setting. Let me explain. If you happen to follow along on the blog, which, hey, you should. It's theymightbegazebos.blog, and it's the letter B, not B-E. Don't worry, I will be getting the right domain soon. Well, you follow along there. Um, I just did a review of the Blight by Frog God Games. And one of the things I've said a long time ago, multiple times, as a matter of fact, I think I've said on the podcast too, that I want to take the Blight, Tegel, or Teagle Manor, however you pronounce it, as soon as I get my hot little hands on that. I bought the Kickstarter, so frogs, please ship on time. They usually do, but I really want to get my hands on that. And uh, Glenn seals the Midderlands into one sort of setting campaign. So all of these things have kind of this thread of the weird, the supernatural, haunted, gloomy type things, especially the Middlelands with gloomium. 
and just weird and off-kilter, not your standard, let's throw a ring into a volcano. <clears throat> so these things have a common thread, or even feel. And then I started looking at my shelves, like, what else have I got? What else did I just get? Well, I just got Crypt of the Science Wizard by Skeeter Green. I just got Cephalon Gorgers of the Moon from Frog God as an adventure. Looking at uh, my shelf, I also have a wonderful thing called Pyramid of the Lost Kings by Joshua DeSanto for... I forgot what his company's name was. Anyway, it is Pyramid of the Lost Kings. Just look for it on drive through It's there. Um, but what these all have in common is they have the sort of crossing the streams genre-wise of a little bit of science's ancient tech and magic and just the right amount of well weird so these things have a common thread too so what i'm saying is look at your shelf look at what you don't have find adventures that have a common theme for what the theme you want for the campaign even though the setting is important but the feel of the sessions of the campaign that you're playing with your pl playing with your players if all the adventures have carry that same theme throughout, whether it's horror, desperation, or whatever, of starting with, you know, something like, I don't know, let's let's pull a random adventure out of the hat here. Let's say, well, Isle of Dread. That's not a bad example. That's <laughs> a bad example. Hang on. We'll say, like, against the giants. Okay, doing the giants. And then, yeah, throw in something weird like, like I mentioned, Crypt of the Science Wizard, which doesn't fit with the theme or the arc or what's going on, the things you have set in the world. So string your adventures. And if you're looking for inspiration for a campaign, look to the adventures you've got. Like, And they don't have to all be in the same world. They don't have to be the same publisher. They just got to have those themes together that fit well together. It's like chocolate and peanut butter. So look at it this way. It's like... Um, because from, from military experience, let me put it this way, the difference between tactical decisions and strategic decisions. All your world notes are the strategic decisions. The choice of modules are the tactical decisions, the things that are going to affect the characters during play directly again and again and again. It's what they're going to feel, it's what they're going to see, it's what they're going to experience. It doesn't matter if you wrote all this stuff about ancient technology and you don't do anything with it, which I fully admit I've done that in the past, done that in the present, and I'll probably do it in the future too, which I shouldn't, but I'm, I know I'm going to. I know it's one of my failings. I write stuff down that I don't use. But then again, who doesn't? And really, it doesn't matter which edition or which game you're playing. There's lots of stuff out there. Lots of it is cross-compatible, especially when you're talking about the old school games. If you're talking about some other system, maybe like RuneQuest or Zweihander slash Warhammer or some other system that I can't think of off the top of my head, then use the ideas and convert it so it fits in your system. You know, you have to look for the neat adventures where somebody does a lot of the legwork for you, and then just tweak it to make it the setting. All right? So, yes, not only are adventures guidelines, they're setting too. Yay! I know that was kind of lame, but... Hey, let's get on with the reading from the little brown books, because we're eh, probably about halfway through this episode. To start this off, I'm going to do a little recap, because uh, one of my players asked me a question. is like, well, you keep talking about little, mentioning these little brown books and white box. What the hell is that? 
Okay, so I assume most of my listeners actually know, but I'm going to explain it anyway. Okay, the white box and little brown books are zero edition D&D. This is the original D&D before basic, before advanced. Forms Holmes and Cook and Moldavi. This was the original D&D as it was. And it's got its oddities, which I've brought up in numerous episodes. But that's what it is. It's original D&D. This is the way it was. And the goal of this whole reading from the Little Brown Books is part nostalgia, part reflection, and part, I guess, historical opinion piece of this is the way it was. It may not have been always great all the time, and there's some stuff we've forgotten that might be cool to add into current games, whether you're playing 5e or 3e. If you're playing 4e, you're probably not even listening to me because I hated it. Or if you're playing the old school games. But you know, a lot of the old school games you already know, but hey... It, you get entertained by my poor reading skills and uh, whatever joke I think of off the top of my head. So anyway, we're going to get it goes on because through the episodes, we have only made it up to book number two, Monsters and Treasure. And I just dropped my bookmark. Yes, I actually bookmarked this so I keep track of what the F I'm doing. And where did I leave off? I left off with scrolls. All right, scrolls. All scrolls are spells for magic users, and regardless of the level of spell, they can be used by any magic user capable of reading them. So, the first sentence says, No cleric scrolls. That's interesting. All protection spells can be used by any character who is able to read, except for these, so it's bad sentencing. Um, scroll spells are of the sixth level, unless necessarily higher, in which case they can be of the minimum level necessary to generate such a spell. After reading a spell from a scroll, the writing disappears, so the spell is usable one time only. That's not really changed. Uh, and then I'm figuring out how to do the scroll. Then we have protection from lycanthropes. Um, let's see. This spell will protect the person and those around them within one inch or ten feet from two to twelve lycanthropes. It doesn't actually say what it does. It just protects you. Protection from undead. According to how many are affected, according to by their hit dice. Protection from elementals. It's just like lycanthropes, but it protects from one elemental. Which isn't explained very well. Protection from magic. A super anti-magic spell which extends within a 10-foot radius, or 1 inch, as it actually says in the book, around the user and prevents all magical functions in or out for 8 turns. The circle is mobile, i.e. it will move with the user. So, yeah. So what we get from scrolls is no cleric scrolls and very poor definition of what a protection scroll does other than it protects you. I'm protected. Are you? Anyway. All right, rings, rings, rings. This should be a long one. It's not that too long, believe it or not, because a ring must be worn to be employed and only one ring may be worn on each hand if the ring is to be operable by the wearer. The referee should be careful to enforce this in order to maintain some balance in the game. Let's get real. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Rings are usable by any type of character. Those rings which are not specifically noted below function as wood, a like spell or potion, but on an unlimited basis regarding duration. Okay, I've, I'm pretty sure that's gonna, that sentence is going to come back and haunt me in the descriptions. So, we have starting off with Mammal Control. The ring allows the wearer to control from 3 to 18 small ma mammals, or from one to eight large mammals. This does not consider any creatures listed in the monster reference table. 
Control is complete, even to having the controlled mammals attack the others with which with it with it which what the hell control is complete even to having the controlled mammals attack the others with it which are not controlled uh, okay but it's unlimited regarding duration i guess it controls them for the rest of their lives uh, the ring of weakness once on the hand this ring cannot be removed without the application of a remove curse spell from a cleric the ring immediately begins to drain energy from the wearer, making him weaker at the rate of 10% per turn until a maximum of 50% is attained. This weakness is reflected in both attack and defense capabilities. Once again, not exactly defining it, but probably go with strength and dex. Protection. Plus one armor. And saving throws. Eh, that's not going to change that much. Three wishes. This is going to be a good one. All right. Three wishes. All right. As with many wishes, the wishes granted by the ring must be of limited power in order to maintain balance in the game. <laughs> this requires the utmost discretion on the part of the referee. Typically, greedy characters will request more wishes, for example, as one of their wishes. The referee should, should then put that character into an endless closed time loop moving him back to the time he first obtained the wish ring. Again, a wish for some powerful item could be fulfilled without the benefit to the one wishing. I wish for a mirror of life trapping, and the referee then places the character inside one which is all his own. Wishes that unfortunate adventures have never happened should be granted. Clues can be given when wishes are powerful items or treasure. I mean, I screwed up the last sentence, but so many of these sentences are poorly worded, so it doesn't matter. So yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, be careful what you wish for. Let's see, delusion. It makes you think something a ring which makes the wearer see whatever he desires i.e a bummer thrown into fool players so yeah so it's what uh, bad regeneration the wearer will recover a damage rate of one point per turn even if you're dead he will regenerate and live again unless treated as a troll and destroyed as explained there under genie summoning uh yeah as a permanent servant of the wearer, the genie appears immediately when called. Telekinesis. Uh, telekinesis ability as a 10th level magic user. X-ray vision. You're Superman. The wearer of this ring can see through 10 feet of rock or 6 feet of iron. Lead prevents it from functioning. Like I said, Superman. Um, as will gold. So you're kind of Green Lantern too. Um, the user will note hidden doors and traps while X-ray areas there and blah blah blah. Spell turning the spell. Uh, Excuse me, I read that one real fast. Spell turning. The spells turned by this ring include those of dragons and clerics, but excludes the finger of death used by clerics. Any spell aimed directly at the wearer of the ring will be partially turned. Roll percentile dice. The number generated is the percentage of the spell which returns to affect the character casting the spell. The remainder part of the spell which affects the wearer of the ring. Note the ring does not function against wands and staves, only against spoken spells aimed at the ring wearer. Wow, that sounds like a pain in the butt to try to do at the table. And the last ring mentioned in Monster and Treasures Volume 2 is, of course, spell storing. A wing, a wing? It's a wing containing, containing from one to six spells from first to six levels. I, I, I make fun of myself, too, not anybody else. Yes, self-depreciating humor, I know that. All right, one to six spells. Um, upon placing it on the finger and thinking of spells, the wearer will know telepathically what spells are housed within the ring. The ring is usable by any type of character, but the spells within it 
are restorable only by a magic user or a cleric. There's a 20% chance the ring has cleric spells, and if it is clerical, there's a 50% chance that the spells therein are chaotic in nature. Interesting. All right, that wraps up, uh, well, rings, and I'm not going to rattle any more about rings. That means next week we're going to take off with, uh, what is it? We've got wands and staves. So I don't, throughout these books sometimes, especially on the monsters, I have no idea what they were thinking when they organized them or their sort of lack of organization. But anyway, this is a fun ride, and it's going to keep going, folks. All right, and thank you very much, listeners. I want you this week to have a happy and safe 4th of July uh, barbecue party. Celebrate however you see fit. Uh, thank you for listening. Go ahead and check out the blog at theymightbegazebos.blog or find us on Facebook at theymightbegazebos. I'm around the Internet. Just look for me. You'll find me. Um, and one other thing. Uh, thanks for listening, and roll dice, kill monsters, and take their stuff.